Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Jeff Griffin. Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, stories of inspiring achievements and community contribution. Every week, we will celebrate an award program category winner or finalist. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know that Australia is in good hands. Together with our corporate partners and not-for-profit partners, Awards Australia showcase ordinary people from right across Australia doing extraordinary things. If you enjoy hearing the stories of our inspirational Australians, please subscribe, rate us and review us. We'd really appreciate it. This week's Inspirational Australian podcast guest was diagnosed with younger onset early stage behavioural variant frontotemporal dementia in mid-2019 at the age of just 54. Juanita Hughes has since dedicated herself to dementia advocacy. Juanita, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I'm great to, it's great to be able to talk to you. <laughs> and really, really terrific to talk with you. As we were talking off air a second ago, uh, my mum has dementia and it's such a terrible thing and you feel helpless as you know a, a loved one, a son or a family member in terms of how and what to do. So I think this will be fantastic for our listeners anybody that knows someone with dementia and I think it'll be very informative you're an amazing woman a wonderful lovely person and you do so much so it's going to be great to talk with you and uh, for our guests as well I know the last five or six years must have been really difficult and quite traumatic for you as well as those around you in the lead up to and since you've faced diagnosis yeah, look, it has been. If I could go out a few more years to when Dad was losing a number of his siblings to this disease. And then about five years ago, Dad found out that he actually had the d- disease. He found out what the what it was called. We knew it was dementia, but what type of dementia it is and the mutation. We found out that the particular mutation we have a 50-50 chance of actually inheriting which isn't that in itself is a big thing to um, yeah. deal with. Um, but as soon as I was eligible to be tested, I got myself tested and found that I was still, I was also carrying the mutation, which was a little bit hard to take. But um, I have a science background and I'd already been reading the literature and I was recognizing very early signs in myself and I'm thinking if this isn't the dementia what's going wrong with my brain um so to find that I had the mutation wasn't a surprise but it wasn't good um you don't want to know that you're going to get dementia it was only nine months after that that I was actually diagnosed um I'd gone to my um GP and asked to be sent to a neurologist because I noticed certain things happening in my brain and, yeah. What what are some of the signs that led led you to realise that, you know, the dementia had started to set in? Well, the type of things that you're looking for in frontotemporal dementia, it's like it's the frontal 
our type is the frontal lobe that's being affected. So it can be a lot of depression-like symptoms. Um, They can often be misdiagnosed as depression, Um, another psychology type of issue rather than a neurological issue. So, yeah, that's the biggest for our type of dementia is that's the biggest issue is actually getting a formal diagnosis. I was fortunate I was diagnosed within a year of my first symptoms, whereas most people are five, six years down the track going to multiple doctors before they find a diagnosis. So that's a traumatic thing, thinking that something's going wrong, but what is it? I know, it must be quite fearful. So how do they actually diagnose it as a specialist that understands it or are there are tests they do? Um, basically, it's through the neurologist. You've got to go, theoretically, a GP could diagnose, but most GPs have very little training in dementia and they they won't do it. They'll send you through to a specialist and it's hard to find a specialist that understands the rarer types of dementia and the type I've got, it's not, if you're counting down the numbers, we're about the top in the top four or five different types, but when you think that Alzheimer's is at least 75% of all cases, the rest of them start getting vanishingly um, rarer very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So finding someone who knows a bit about that type of dementia is is not always easy. I actually was sent first to a movement specialist rather than a brain specialist. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Maybe they thought you weren't sporty enough. (laughs) But, like, um, the type of the actual mutation I have can also lead to motor neurone disease. Oh, gee. Uh, So it can be dementia or motor neurone disease or anywhere in between. It's a spectrum. Right. So is that why you went to the movement specialist? Well, no, it wasn't why I went there. That was who my GP sent me to. Yeah. Yeah. But he understood a little bit about it because of that, because uh, it is a spectrum. That's what they call it. You could be anywhere from full dementia to full motor neuron, if you're in the middle, you get both at the same time, which is a bad bad combination. Yeah, that's not good. No one wants that. So I didn't realise that there are multiple types of dementia, all with varying uh, rates of decline, I imagine. Yeah, well, see, there's. I think there's something, there's well over 100 named dementias. Wow. Well over 100. And they all start in different parts of the brain. So the early symptoms can be different, but the later symptoms, as more and more of the brain cells are affected, start merging into each other. Yeah. Yeah, So late dementia is very similar, but early dementia can be quite different. And I'm presuming that science has come so far that there are some medications available for some forms of dementia that can slow the decline or the, um, was that not, not the case? Uh, I think there is one that has been approved in the States by the FDA, which 
is showing some disease-modifying characters for Alzheimer's. That's the first oh, for okay. any dementia, and it's only happened in the last six months. Okay, so it's a long way off still. It has been approved by the FDA, yeah. but on a, I think it's almost on the emergency approval rate. Thing. Yeah, 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 so it's only very early stages. When you've got the type of mutation I've got, I wouldn't want to be a scientist trying to find out something, to be honest. Um, it's not not easy. Most of the time they can only look at um, symptoms and try and use medications from other diseases to make the symptoms less. Yeah. Um, and it's often more for the carers and, <laughs> and the care, care staff if you end up in, in um, aged care rather than the person involved because a lot of those medications actually make your life as a person with dementia worse. <laughs> well, it so, must have been terribly confronting for you too when you realised that your father had had it. It's, you know, hereditary and a very high chance of also getting uh, the frontotemporal dementia. Oh, yeah, it was. It um, we'd seen a high rate in the family, but when we found out what it was and it explained it, yeah, yeah, it make it's it still bring it brings it down to a very a strong impact on you because yes, it's it could be just very unlucky or it could be genetics, <laughs> you know, yeah. And if it's unlucky, well, it hasn't increased your chances, but if it's genetics, well. Too bad. <laughs> Not much you can do about it once you're born. <laughs> yeah. Must be tough for for loved ones as well. How do you, um, how do people deal with supporting their loved ones with dementia? What are the best tips for how people can manage and, and work around and with their loved ones who might have dementia? And I know there are varying levels of that dementia stages. Yeah. Well, look. For me, for me and my family, the hardest thing was for my mum because she was the full-time carer of my dad with more advanced dementia at the same time as getting a daughter diagnosed who would need some help. Yeah. So she was, she was like <laughs> both sides. Yeah, poor mum. Yeah, it's tough, 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 tough. For me, being diagnosed as early as I was, I've been able to get NDIS support. And with that, I've been able to relieve them a lot. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Early diagnosis clearly seems to be a key if you can get the right, the right uh, referral from your GP and get it diagnosed early. Yeah. But the type, yeah, the type I've got, we most people get it in the age range where you can get NDIS. Um, it's more likely diagnosed before 65. I want to delve a little bit into some of your advocacy work, but before I do, I'm intrigued. You mentioned you had a bit of a science background, so I want to ask you, if you don't mind, what your career entailed or entails, you know, particularly prior to all of the advocacy work you do after diagnosis? In some ways, I could call myself a petrol student. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a little bit of work, but I started a PhD but had to pull out um, about 
um, three, four years before my um, diagnosis and I was looking for work all that time. And apart from working security at the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast, I pretty much haven't done any real work ever since. So it was actually a, a bit of a sideways lean from science but I was doing a PhD in um in chemistry at the time when I had a lab. So what was your PhD focused on? Yeah it was a um PhD looking in um prostate cancer. Oh okay yeah well shame you didn't finish you might have found uh, an answer for us. Well um it was what they call the uh, theranostics which is a a a coined word that says therapy and diagnosis in the one molecule. There you go. We've learned something today. Um, So it was actually a very interesting area, but I had to to pull out of it. Um, Part of it was that my um, one of my supervisors who had the money um, retired totally. The money went with her. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do research for that money (laughs) that's one of those things um so yeah but we had a few other things that happened but that was one of the major issues about having to pull out from phd but yeah well you became a finalist in the um, australia pacific lng local hero award uh, in 2021 for your advocacy work for dementia and you had quite an involvement with, or you have quite an involvement with uh, Dementia Australia. Can you tell us about what your role or what you do with them? Well, I was within a couple of weeks of my diagnosis. I, um, well, the day I was diagnosed, I was told by the neurologist to look at, get in touch with Dementia Australia. That was the best the best and only good advice I've gotten from him, um, <laughs> essentially. Um, by far the best because I spent the rest of the day on the computer looking at, got pretty much looked at every page on the website (laughs) and came across their advocacy program. I hadn't heard of it before that because it's only relevant if you um, have a, a direct contact with dementia, either someone who has it or is a carer or former carer. So I would have struggled to put the case for to be an advocate until I was diagnosed. Once I was diagnosed, yeah, no worries. <laughs> but I pretty much applied for advocacy within a week of that. And when I was when I was told about the first thing that they had available for me in Brisbane, I had to contact them back and say, sorry, I'm going to be house sitting in Sydney at that time. And they contact him back, oh, we've got another session happening the day after you arrive in Sydney. Can you make that? So I said, yeah, I suppose I can. Um, so I went and that was that's the end of the story virtually because I met the people in person. I met my local coordinator for the program because she looks after Queensland and New South Wales. She was there but I met her boss who looks after the entire nation's program. So they got to know me that day. So they knew I was staying in Sydney. I knew I was house and puppy sitting, so I was relatively free. And I was able to do things 
at a moment's notice virtually. Um, Are you still involved with them? Oh, yeah, heavily involved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm doing, um, and then it was only, oh, I think it was about three months after diagnosis that I was told about there was some um, vacancies that they're trying to fill in the um, advisory committee. Yep. And I applied, applied and accepted and started in October of that year. So I was diagnosed in May and in October I became a member of that um, advisory committee. So it was a very quick journey for me. Yeah. <laughs> but in that time I had done a lot of advocacy yeah. <laughs> because I was available. They knew that if they called me to do something, like they wanted an extra person for their filming for Dementia Action Week, they had photographers lined up and they, rec- they realised that they, only, they had a gap that they wanted to fill. I had less than 24 hours' notice of that and they had interviewed me the same day as they asked me. So, like, they, know, they knew they could do that. Yeah, awesome. Yes. So, um, <laughs> you spent a lot of time talking with people, supporting people, helping people and providing advice, I guess, uh, as well. Oh, yeah. I do that. I do what I can. Just this year, we've added up different groups. I keep on forgetting what my actual role is because <laughs> I've only seen it once or twice. Um, as soon as I'm told, I'll, I'll know what it is, but I can never remember. But they decided that we we would actually ask. They had a list of things and we could say what we were interested in. Yep. And um, my I think my role is related to... I'm working with new staff, make sure that they understand what's what dementia is. If they're going to work for Dementia Australia, they need to have um, some sort of inter- um, induction and things like that. So you're uh, involved in training as well. Yeah, the advisory committee has the ear of the CEO and the board. We um, actually advise the board on things. Yes. We have a member of the board that sits on our meetings and all of, and he always reports back from that. Um, when we have face-to-face meetings, we often see the CEO or the board or both. Yes. Um, I've only been to one of them because COVID got in, has gotten away. Yes. But um, we'll probably, we, we, we want to have a meeting with the entire board. That's what one of our things that's going to happen. So we are um, involved quite, quite highly in the organisation. Um, we um, also involved in um, all the different plans. They come to us now and say, well, look, we want to do something about that. We need to have a chat about it. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very, very um, high level um, influence we've got, which is really good. Brilliant. But it is good to uh, for our listeners to understand a bit more about actually what's involved, what you do, and a bit more about Dementia Australia. And I'm really excited that a board member sits on your advisory committee and get in, like, involved at grassroots level. It doesn't always happen in all boards. So that's, to me, really exciting. And Yeah, it's been a major and inter- it's only happened in the last six, seven months that it's happened. Yep. People that have been on on the in the committee for longer have been trying to get an ear and a voice in the in the board for longer than that but this is a, a good compromise so yeah yes 
well, Alzheimer's South Australia, before they merged all under the one banner of Dementia Australia, were a sponsor of the Community Achievement Awards in South Australia because they understood the importance of advocacy but the value of what people who are working with those who have dementia bring to those people, whether it be care or advocacy or volunteering or whatever it was. So that was really fabulous. Mm. And that all stopped when uh, each of the states merged in together with Dementia Australia. So I have some understanding of Dementia Australia and what you do, and it really is so invaluable and Mm. your role is really critical as well. So thank you for all that you do. You're also a National Older Persons Reference Group member. So what's the purpose of the group? I think it was only just over 12 months ago, a little bit longer, um, the um, Older People's Advocacy Group decided they needed a group of people who were consumers. (laughs) It could actually inform them to make a similar idea as the um, advisory committee for for Dementia Australia. Okay. Um, they had gotten people, but then they then they contacted Dementia Australia and said, "We want people with dementia or carers from dementia also part of the group because it's part of the importance of the older people's um, advocacy network." Basically, that's when I applied to go on it um, because um, although I like to think I'm not exactly an older person. I do have a father who is very much in that system now because um, in March this year he had to go into um, aged care because of the deterioration he has gone through. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a, a fairly inevitable um, yeah. milestone. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? It's a horrible milestone, but um, you have to do it for yeah. safety. In his case, it was it was a safety issue. He could yeah. not be safe to live in the community. Yes. Um, he'd lost the ability to know when to look and how dangerous a road could be. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, have to put him where he doesn't have the opportunity to kill himself. <laughs> and it would be increasingly more difficult for your mum to oh, yeah. look after him. Yeah, those sort of things were really hard. So we he's had to go into aged care. So, yeah, look, um, I wanted to be involved with that because I knew that was on the cards. Yes. And I wanted to make sure that I understood everything. I came in and I've always wondered where, what is my contribution to this group. It's not nearly as clear. Yes. Um, but... I think the group in some ways are learning of learning from each other because we're all working in very different areas and have very different backgrounds. And um, between us, as a group, we're, we're um, stronger than individuals. 100%. Same can be said for every single business, mm. whatever it may be, every community group. It's the collaboration of ideas all coming together bring strength and unity and information and knowledge and knowledge is power. Yeah. I think what you're doing is fantastic and the fact that you're all learning from each other is what it's all about. Now, I know you're really passionate about 
the Western Brisbane Dementia Alliance, and you're heavily involved in leading the development of the alliance, and you're getting great community support, I believe, so including from government. How did the idea for the alliance come about? And tell us about the progress. Well, um, I first heard about the alliance, of course, most of the people who are on the um, Dementia Australia Advisory Committee are running alliances in their own communities. So I I learnt that. Um, I became involved with the group that is in Bayside, Brisbane, with one of the other members of the committee. She also lives in Brisbane. Um, And so I got a little bit of a taste of what could happen with an alliance. And I realised when I started looking at it, there was nothing in the western part of Brisbane. There's nothing in, um, there's a large, a large unta- untapped area where there's a lot, could be and would be many needs. Yeah. So that's where I became passionate. It took me a fair while to get this organised because we started about June 2020 um, and then everything, COVID sort of, got in the way and it wasn't until um, April of 21 that we were able to launch it. I was putting out um, advertisement. I heard a notice on the on TV or radio that they were going to close it, close, everything was going to be shut down at that, after, that evening and I was racing around to try and put it up advertising and we were hoping that they would un- unlock so we could actually have the meeting so it was really literally in between lockdowns that we got this thing going we used the uh, the small um window that we had available to get it going because of the way things were we couldn't go out and do a lot of the things we'd planned in advertising just wasn't able to be happened because we're all at home you can't do a lot of advertising when you can't leave the house um yeah, so we had a very small launch, but they were all very enthusiastic. How many people have been involved? What activities do you undertake for the Western Brisbane Dementia Alliance? What activities? How many people have been involved since you launched? And certainly COVID is such a nightmare for so many people and it just destroys so many plans and lives. But how's it gone? Yeah, about at the meeting we talked about, I, I basically talked about some of the things I was interested in doing that I thought would would meet the needs of probably much communities anywhere um, and I thought it would be good for our community and the, and the groups were all positive about going ahead with them. So our initial aim was to set up an um, inclusive cafe where a carer could bring a person with dementia they could sit down with other carers and have an unofficial support and somewhere where they could feel comfortable to talk about what's going on with other people who would understand yeah yeah very tough it's um it's it's a wonderful thing that you're doing very very difficult for people to understand dementia because it's not something that you can physically see. Yeah, you can only see what's happening in another person that you know well. Exactly. And it is frustrating. It's very frustrating 
when someone asks you the same question 10 times in 10 minutes and you have to be strong and fully understand that that person doesn't remember, and I'm talking about my own personal experience, mm-hmm. that that person just doesn't remember what you talked about 30 seconds ago. And I remember my dad saying to me, the hardest thing for me being him was that they would share a special occasion, they would share having seen one of their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and, of course, you would talk about that, but mum hadn't remembered. So that was the hardest thing for my dad uh, to to deal with, not be able to share those treasured memories. So it is very tough. So what are the some of how many people have been involved so far? And I know it's still only very new. Well, I'm pretty much the group <laughs> as oh, far as the membership goes. I'm in the process of writing an email to the people who came first and see if anybody else wants to join me as part of the group because I really need extra help. I can only do so much myself. Yes, yes. Um, And I am very busy with all sorts of things, but I want to do the things locally as well. The editor of the local news monthly news magazine she has been ultra supportive, but I didn't even know why, yes. apart from just who she was. Because one of the first pe- couples that came to the cafe were her parents, and her mother is living with Alzheimer's. Uh, yes, yes. Once I realised who sh- who they were and their connection to the editor, I thought, ah, you know. Der virtually, you know, of course. She's going to be interested in something happening with dementia because she's got a family connection and that makes a difference. Yeah, sure does. But, um, yeah, I've I've had a lot of um, support from my local um, city councillor as well. He helped us a lot with the launch. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so he basically um, organised a free free use of the hall and put up cash for refreshments. So you couldn't ask for more. We go back to him. After about two months, it took me to get an appointment with him because I wanted to give him a formal thank you Yes. in person rather than an email. We spend the time with him and his main staffer brainstorming about what we can do with the group. You know, it's like <laughs> you can't ask for better support than that. He's very, very good. So what are some of your plans for the for the alliance? Well, my biggest um, plan at the moment is to take the Dementia Friends Program to every organisation I can in the district. Okay. I've already got the local over 50s group. I've got both the Scouts and the Girl Guide and the local um, Meals on Wheels is also going to allow me to go and talk to all their volunteers and present the Dementia Friends program to them. And it's quite a, I don't know if you know anything about Dementia Friends. No. But um, it's a program that if you go on to the Dementia Friendly Organisation webpage, which is run by Dementia Australia, um, Dementia Friends is the lowest level of that all, of that group. 
alliances are part of it and also um, dementia-friendly organisations and businesses. But the Dementia Friends is the basic thing and it's essentially watching a 15-minute video, not terribly difficult to do, um, but it's people living with dementia talking about um, what dementia is to them, how it affects their daily life, what, how a dementia-friendly community would impact their life and why they really would love to have the community more dementia-friendly. You know, it's, it's very powerful for someone who's never had any contact with dementia and, and even for those who are carers of someone with the dementia, just to see from the other side of it. Sounds great. Look, very informative and highly recommended by the sounds for anybody who wants to know about more about dementia. Yeah, well, um, I've already presented the program once to the local um, Rotary group. Awesome. Yeah, the, one of the, I think he was the treasurer of the local group, came to our launch and he said at the launch, I want you to present this to the whole group. So I've already done that, yeah, and it was very well received. <laughs> yeah, well, the more people who understand uh, dementia, the better. And the other places that I'm looking at doing it is in all the local churches. I've already got the local Anglican church and the Silvos. Um, on board for me to come and present it to their um, senior management in the, so that they understand dementia. Yeah, that's a great idea because there are a lot of older people with no offence at churches that attend <laughs> churches, so it would be very good for them to understand as well. Yeah, well, I, I thought, you know, my, my aim for that is that a lot of people have attended a church for many years, have, have got... A lot of their support networks are within the church group. When someone gets dementia, if there's nobody in the church that understands what's going on, it can have very negative results. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So. And what are some of the issues and difficulties people with dementia face that we might not realise or think about? When people get dementia and if they're struggling with memory or struggling to do what they used to be able to do or whatever their particular problem is, firstly, it's a lot of extra burden that goes on their immediate family. We've got to look after them, keep them safe. That's the first issue. But a lot of family friends and family members will ostracise not only the person with dementia but their carers, they will be left isolated from their normal support network. Yeah. Um, and that is a very hard thing to do, to live with. Yes. Yes, it sure is. And uh, it's a sad thing, but you're 100% right. I mean, probably because we don't know how to deal with her or it's just too tough, too hard. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a hard thing to deal with. Um, yeah. But there are resources available. Dementia Australia has got some great resources. Yes. Um, the DAC itself, which we call the Advisory Committee, it's a, a little acronym, um, has been working with Dementia Australia to make a little brief, um, brief booklet called Let's Talk. Yeah. And it's basically 
how do you talk with someone with dementia? It's very powerful because everyone that's worked on it has got dementia themselves. Between us, we probably tick most of the common dementias one one of us has got. So, yeah, we can understand where the problems are in our particular side of dementia. Yes. I'm always conscious of not asking my mum what she did that day or something that's passed because she doesn't remember. So I try to talk to her about what's current, what's in the very moment. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I talk to her about things that I've been doing or my family's been doing that she doesn't have to have any knowledge of herself because that's the hardest thing. You sort of want to talk to people on uh, still on the same level, but you can't ask them. My mum, her memory is uh, to the point where she can't remember your previous sentence. So yeah. uh, I, c- I can only talk about my family, what I'm doing. I've encountered people with dementia to that uh, that level in my advocacy work. So, yeah, I notice, I know what you're talking about. Yes, it's very, very difficult. Now, how do you personally manage living with dementia uh, yourself? What are some of the tips that you might provide? For myself, I'm actually, as I said, I'm a perpetual student. I've just graduated. I'm just graduating in January from a course that I completed a few weeks ago. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Um, it was work that I I actually started a master's. I was in my first semester when I was diagnosed with dementia. COVID got in the way and with all the things that were happening, I actually pulled out of that and I'm graduating from the grad cert as part of it. So um, I've done that entire degree at a graduate level with dementia, so it's doable. Not everybody with dementia will be able to do that. I can at this stage. And I think that leads into know what you can do. And focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Because whatever it is you can do is positive. You've got to look at as much as to the positive as possible. Um, For carers, I would like to say is if you're feeling overwhelmed, look at what is most important to you to have happen. If you're struggling to get them to do, a person with dementia to do five different types of tasks, which is the most important for you and focus on that and and consider it an achievement rather than overwhelming yourself. Don't um, burden yourself with what can't be done and get as much support as you can get, whether it's paid support or people that want to help. And there are people who want to help, even with the fact that you do lose a lot of family and friends, but there will be other people that will be willing to help. And I think, again, for carers to have respite, um, it might sound horrible to say, I I want him going somewhere else or her going somewhere else, but it's important for your mental health and it's important for your caring role. You yeah. can't be a proper carer if you don't get the rest that you need. And I guess we're martyrs in that we 
just don't feel we should leave our loved one. But as you say, it is really critical that we take that time for ourselves as a carer. Valuable yeah. words. And I think your words of um, doing what you can do and do it well uh, to focus on the positives is really valuable advice for everybody in every circumstance. Of course, yes. It does not just dementia. Everyone should focus on what they can do. If you feel, if you focus on what you can do, you've got better mental health. Yeah, be positive. I think that's such a key, and I think you're spot on with all that. I um, asked my family members. We, My mum has a big, large print calendar with every the whole day or every day of the month on a page and when someone visits her we write in the diary that we visited because of course mum doesn't remember and feels that no one ever comes to visit her so we say oh look have a, have a look at your diary here mum so and so came and saw you yesterday and so and so the day before that and oh yes that's lovely yeah, and if possible, photos would be good too. Yeah, that's uh, that's such a great idea. Photos everywhere of the loved ones. Yeah, and of people who come because, oh, we saw, oh, that may be a mem- memory jog. That's a good idea. You never know. And for something that um, the State Archives here, they are actually a dementia-friendly organisation and um, what they used to do before COVID, they had, They've got a dementia lounge there where people can come in and they've got old photos from the archives, but they use them as mem- as um, conversation starters for people with dementia because it's things that they may have encountered in their childhood, which people who have memory issues with dementia usually have short storing memory issues rather than They've still got the early memories. So if you can somehow get into those early memories, people at home could do the same. Bring out the photo books if they've got them of when their kids were young. Talk about pictures of the house that they're living in when it was before it was renovated last, you know, the, the earlier stages of their lives. Yes. So, yeah. So that's that's the sort of thing that can help. Um, and they say that music therapy is also very good because particularly if it's music of the childhood, of the teen years, the young adult years, yes, yes. it can bring, bring back, it can help non-verbal people with dementia start talking again. Yeah. Well, very, very good tip. Hey, Winita, is all your work voluntary? Um, pretty much all. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, some of the things that I do, they give us a small gift voucher for it or something like that. But Yeah, so basically voluntary. Yeah. Uh, nice that they do that from time to time. Which is the early onset dementia that really is devastating and impacts people very quickly uh, in terms of their, their life expectancy? Well, I would think... It can be um, pretty much any of them, depending on what other things are going wrong. Okay. The type of one I've got with that particular mutation 
if you get it with motor neurone disease, you can be dead in three years or two years. Um, so you go downhill very, very quickly. But it's, it's driven by the motor neurone disease. Right, okay. If you get it as a as a combo, it's not a very good very thing good no, thing to have. Not something that you want. Because you hear about people with the early onset who, um, you know, just die very quickly thereafter. It's tragic. Yeah, well, some people do. Part of the problem is diagnosis is so late. If the disease is going to last 10 years and you're diagnosed at six years down the track, um, the actual from when you diagnose until when you're so sick that you don't know anything about it is only a few years. Yeah, good point. Um, if if you're like me and diagnosed in the first year and you've got ten years ahead, well, you've got ten, you've got at least eight years of good time. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it makes a huge that so diagnosis, um, early diagnosis is the best thing. And apart from the fact that you've got more years where you can do things, if they get disease, if they find a medication that is disease modifying, most of them will stop it where it is now and you don't want to be stopped at them in a um end of life care you want to be stopped at the very early stages where you've still got life left yes if i was had to live the rest of my life like the stage i'm at you know would be i could do it but i wouldn't want to be leaving living the rest of my life when i had to be fully cared for in aged care yep no, very, very good point. What do you think the major challenges of organising events and group meetings for people with dementia? It can be a big, big challenge for families to do it. Often a person with dementia doesn't feel like they're, they feel like they've lost all control of their life and so they may be a bit considered to be a bit recalcitrant. Yes. <laughs> but it's really like nobody likes to feel like somebody else is dominating them. Um, so even if you ask them, do you want to do something with such and such? Do you want it to organize? Do we do we want to, do we want to do it? Include them in the actual planning. Yeah. Be the biggest um, benefit there. You can actually. Um, they feel like even if they even if they say, "Look, I don't feel like planning it." At least they've been given the opportunity to say no. Yes, you're right because they're still human beings. They just uh, their memory may not be perfect. What's the most fulfilling experience you've had through your dementia volunteering advocate journey so far? Oh, it's very hard to know. <laughs> I've had some really good ones. I think probably. This year in Dementia Action Week, I was involved in the videos that went all over Australia. That was very fulfilling. But during that Action Week, I was um, interviewed by an AAP journalist and that article was used in 117 different publications, both TV and print, and with an audience of well over 3 million people. Okay. That was, it was mind-blowing how one little interview can go, where it can go. So impactful. 
Yeah. To me, that was prop. That was one of them. And the other one I that I really um, have in my as a high point was very early 2020 when I was involved with a program with Dementia Australia where they had a group of third-year medical students and they were talking about dementia with them. And to be able to talk with these future doctors and help them to understand dementia was so important. Yeah, it would be 100% important. So to me, that was a big highlight as well. Yeah, good on you. It must have been a real thrill too uh, and such a validation of your your work but also the work of Dementia Australia and all the associated arms and legs of the uh, Dementia Australia to have been chosen as a finalist for the 2021 Australia Pacific LNG Community Hero Awards, as I mentioned, which, of course, is part of the Community Achievement Awards. must have been such a thrill for you to have reached that stage. Oh, it was a thrill for me. To me, actually, the biggest part of that was to be nominated by Dementia Australia themselves, to feel as if what I'm doing is appreciated by them. Yes. Yeah. And I think... Anything after that was a bonus. (laughs) Yeah. I think you nailed it there too. To be nominated by someone is so special, and I think for any of our listeners who know someone that's doing something really valuable in the community, no matter what industry or what whether it's volunteering or whatever it is, to nominate someone is such a thrill for the person that you're nominating. And if people don't have time, they can call our office and we can actually do the nomination or contact the individual to get more information. We don't like to nominate ourselves, but to be nominated is such a privilege and an honour. Yeah, it's validating. That's the thing. You feel like what you're doing is actually appreciated. What's something that you might remember that was inspirational about the Community Achievement Award Night presentation at the Roll on the Park? Well, um, when I looked at all of the finalists for the um, Community Hero Award, I'm thinking I wouldn't have wanted to be the judge. (laughs) They were all would have been, there would be no blinking if anyone had been chosen, everyone was doing something. And to me, even it wasn't just in that award, it was all across the board. When I, when I heard about all the finalists in all the different categories, you just don't realise how much people are doing in our community until you go to something like that. Because a lot of these people are, are doing it um, without buying their own trumpets. They're just getting on and doing jobs that they see need to to be happening. Yeah. I think you're right. It's so important to actually acknowledge people. People don't do what they do to be acknowledged, but the fact that someone does take the time to say, you know what, we appreciate what you're doing is immensely rewarding for that individual. Mm. Because it hasn't been looked for and because they're appreciated and that's what these awards do and we're really proud of our ability to bring people together to inspire people and to empower people like yourself to be able to go on and do even more with the recognition and the kudos and acknowledgement that you get 
And it's not just about the individual. It's a great recognition for the organisations that people like you, Juanita, work with, like Dementia Australia. They can get further kudos and uh, acknowledgement of what they do, then that is so powerful. So yeah. you, you really are amazing and we are very thankful for people like yourself that do so much. Would you encourage our listeners to nominate someone for the awards and why would you do that? Yeah, look, um, if you know someone that is actually doing something tirelessly in their community and are doing it without thinking about it just because they see a need and fill it to the best of their abilities, they're the sort of people we want to acknowledge. We want them to realise that they are appreciated. By nominating people that are doing something really great, we're also encouraging others to follow their example. So true, so true. Well, like all of us, you must feel the day-to-day pressure build up from time to time as well. You've got a lot on your plate. You're helping others, which is always very tiring. How do you stay motivated and re-energise yourself when you're feeling a bit low? Going back to when I was an undergraduate student, which I started studying in my 40s, (laughs) again, (laughs) Um, I used to use my crafting as a stress relief, and I'm still using it now, uh, making cards. One of my achievements this year was to be invited to our local end-of-year program that was sponsored by the three levels of government, my local state city councillor, my local leader for Queensland and our federal leader. The local leader for Queensland just happens to be Anastasia, so, yeah, we we were doing a bit of um, interest. It was an interesting night, but um, I've actually got a good almost first name or first name relationship with her head of her electoral office. Fantastic. Well, it doesn't get much uh, higher than your life <laughs> than, uh, than the Premier, so you've done yeah, like, um, when I, I was able to be invited to that and um, at there I said to, I basically, just when Anastasia was going around the room, I said, look, I've got some Christmas cards that are sitting at home and looking for a home. I want to look at, for a charity to help donate them to, to use in Christmas parcels. And so I was... Um, was able to make more cards to go with and I've helped support the Anglican churches here with their parcels that they were sending out. They all got a handmade Christmas card in their parcels. I know you've done lots of community work. Uh, yeah, I love doing it because that's that's my um, creative outlet. It's my, But to actually see it go somewhere where it can help somebody else. It's um, it gives you joy. It gives me a lot of joy, a lot of ben, a lot of things, and I'll show you one other thing. Uh-huh. All right, for our listeners who can't see, yeah. reaching, reaching in, <laughs> you can see these cards that I made. Um, when I when I heard um, that all the um, you know like all the problems that people were having in um, retail stores during the pandemic workers being abused and everything I said I can make cards and I started making thank you cards to give out to the the workers oh that's lovely and oh boy it was great just to see the change in face I bet (laughs) yeah yeah it was it was worth it 
to go to a lot of effort to make something, even if it was a little bit of effort, but make it beautiful so that they knew they were appreciated. Oh, that, that is awesome. Good on you. Hey, Juanita, what's something that we might not know about you? Hmm. I've told you quite a fair bit. but um, yeah, actually. I've actually spent um, five, four years in South Korea teaching English as well. Oh, that's uh, that's quite fascinating. You really have packed a lot in, haven't you? Oh, yeah, and it was like the interesting thing was that um, the first year I spent over there was 1987, um, and people who know about the Olympics know that Seoul had the Olympics in 1988, mm. and um, w- w- all the Australians in Korea well, and I'm not sure how many there were, but Australians and New Zealanders combined, including the embassy staff and their partners and children, were about 100 people. So we weren't that many on the ground. So when the um, chef de mission came to Seoul to look at the facilities and put in Australia's bid to go to the Seoul Olympics the embassy put on a, a cocktail party for him. It had all Australians in the country were invited to it. Fantastic. That chef de mission now is vice chairman of the IOC, and I've met him. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we get your autograph? <laughs> it's like um, when you're willing to go outside your comfort zone, you just don't know where you're going to end up. <laughs> oh, I think there's a lesson in that for all of us. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Speaking of packing stuff in, what's next for when when use? I'm pl- I've applied to continue studying next year. Good on you. What are you going to be doing? Um, I'm going to do a graduate um, graduate certificate in business, philanthropy, and nonprofit. Fantastic. Yeah, because I believe that as part of my um, work on the Alliance for Dementia Australia, the advisory committee, I'm having someone with a little bit of business background, even even if it's only study, not practical, would be invaluable. And Uh, they say uh, studying, keeping your mind active is really good to help slow down the onset of dementia. Oh, and not only the onset, the progress. Yes. That the scientists have found out about what they call neuroplasticity. Your brain is not constant. <laughs> you can actually change your brain by using it. Yeah. What you were doing when you were studying and using your brain in any way you're using it um, is to create new connections between the cells. Yes which means that you're future-proofing your brain to some extent. There you go, everybody. Get out there, start studying, start learning, but uh, no seriousness. Uh, Yeah, well, it doesn't have to be formal study. It can be doing crosswords. It can be doing um, creative activities. It can be doing um, thinking about how you're going to plan your garden. Um, Anything that's using your brain. Yes. Yeah. Whatever interests you, of course. Don't do it because you don't want it, because you have to do it. (laughs) What do you think the world needs more of right now? I think the world probably needs more compassion. We, we We need more of 
a willingness to understand each other, to go the second mile to try and understand each other. Um, because a lot of us are living very difficult lives in very, it doesn't, in so many different ways, we can be living different, difficult lives. A lot of the time we don't talk about it. Yes. And I, I think if we can support each other, the journey is so much easier. We don't know what the person that we're talking to has gone through, what their day's been like. So we shouldn't judge people and we should make allowances and be kind because we just don't know. I think you're right. Juanita, where can our listeners connect with you online and find out more about the West Western Brisbane Dementia Alliance and, of course, the other organisations within Dementia Australia or the other arms or components of uh, Dementia Australia that you're involved with? Well, the Alliance actually has a Facebook page, which I usually post all the activities that we are doing or I am doing, actually, beyond even the Alliance. But usually, if you're in the Western Brisbane area, whenever we're going to have a um, cafe meeting together, I usually put it up. Remember, it's this in two days' time or something like that, um, that type of thing. Um, What's it called? What's it called? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's basically the full name of the group, Western Brisbane Alliance. Okay, perfect. So people should go on. Western Brisbane Dementia Alliance. I think if you look up that, um, you will find it. Yeah. On Facebook. So if you know someone with dementia, particularly a loved one or a friend, or you want to help out, uh, help Juanita get things cracking. And if you're, definitely if you're in the in the um, greater west of Brisbane area, we'd love to see you. <laughs> Sounds like you need some help and we need to get things moving there to be able to help more people. Oh, yeah. Look, I can do so much myself and I am passionate about doing things myself, but a team is so much better. Yeah, you can't do everything yourself, so I agree. Are you on LinkedIn, Juanita? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, yep. Beautiful. Contact Juanita. Let her know that you appreciate what she's doing and if you want to help, get involved because it's uh, it's a fantastic program, it's a fantastic work that Dementia Australia does as well. All right. Well, I hope everybody's enjoyed my chat with Juanita today. It's been really terrific. Thank you so much for your time, Juanita. I hope our listeners have learnt a little bit more about dementia and how to work with their loved ones to get best possible results. Before we close, a big thanks to all the businesses and individuals that have come on board. The new Awards Australia Making a Difference annual membership program We started this not long ago. We've got a whole lot of members already involved. It's $50 to join. It's an annual uh, subscription fee. Helps to provide grant funding for our award winners. So get involved. And a big thanks to all those that already have. Shout out to Annette, who is my wife. She produces the Inspirational Dot Australians podcast. Our son, Josh, is my co-host and does the alternate weeks for our podcast chats along with our amazing team at Awards Australia, help us to empower others to continue their dreams of making a difference, just like Juanita does in the community. Thank you to our team. 
And Juanita, it's been wonderful talking to you personally and for the community. You take care. Yeah, I will. (laughs) Thank you. And until next week, stay safe. Please be kind and keep inspiring. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I have. We would love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. Did you know that Awards Australia is a family-owned business that proudly makes a difference in the lives of those that make a difference for others? And we thank our corporate and not-for-profit partners for making our award programs possible. Do you know someone that's making a difference? Or maybe your business might like to sponsor an award. Contact us through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians, or head to our website, awardsaustralia.com. It would be great if you could share this episode with your network because who doesn't like a good news story? And please rate and review us. We would really love to hear your thoughts. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.